Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Saturday morning, December 17th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, I'm sorry, I want to apologize up front. I did not get this recorded last night. Um, I actually tried to work yesterday and actually did work yesterday, but needless to say, it wore me out and I just was not able to sit down and record last night. I had the show ready, but I just could not get it together. So I apologize for that. Um, however, I am here with you this morning. I'm not feeling a lot better, but I wanted to go ahead and try to get this done. I didn't want to leave you guys in the lurch for, um, for a day during this, during the week. I didn't want us to miss any of the readings and anything like that. So, um, and I've got it set up. I'm using, um, audacity to record. So maybe I can do some pauses and stuff so you don't have to listen to me coughing or I can actually strip the coughs out. That was, was actually pretty functional too. Um, I'm going to drink some tea here and we're going to get going. Um, we're going to jump right in and see how long my voice holds out. Um, so we'll open up this morning as we do every Saturday morning with the seventh day morning prayer, God's good pleasure. Sovereign Lord, I'm sorry, let us pray. Sovereign Lord, Thy will is supreme in heaven and earth, and all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits. Thy inspiration gives us understanding. Thy providence governs our lives. But, O God, we are sinners in thy sight. Thou hast judged us so, and if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear him, the eye of faith to see him, the hand of faith to receive him, the appetite of faith to feed upon him, that we might find in him light, riches, honor, eternal life. Thou art the inviting one. May we hearken to the, I'm sorry, may we hearken to thee, the almighty instructor, teach us to live to thee, the light dweller, inaccessible to man and angels, hiding thyself behind the elements of creation, but known to us in Jesus. Possess our minds with the grandeur of thy perfections. Thy love to us in Jesus is firm and changeless. Nothing can separate us from it, and in the enjoyment of it nothing can make us miserable. Preserve us from hypocrisy and formality in religion. Enable us to remember what thou art and what we are, to recall thy holiness and our unworthiness. Help us to approach thee clothed with humility, for vanity, forwardness, insensibility, disorderly affection, backwardness to duty, proneness to evil, are in our hearts. Let us never forget thy patience, wisdom, power, faithfulness, care, and never cease to respond to thy invitations. Amen. All right. And our December 17th morning devotional, the text for it is Jeremiah 2.2. I remember thee. Let us note that Christ delights to think upon his church and to look upon her beauty. As the bird returneth often to its nest, and as the wayfarer hastens to his home, so doth the mind continually pursue the object of its choice. We cannot look too often upon that face which we love. We desire always to have our precious things in our sight. It is even so with our Lord Jesus. From all eternity his delights were with the sons of men. His thoughts rolled onward to the time when his elect should be born into the world. He viewed them in the mirror of his foreknowledge. In thy book, he says, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 139.16 When the world was set upon its pillars, he was there, and he set the bonds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Many a time before his incarnation, he descended to this lower earth in the similitude of a man. On the plains of Mamre, Genesis 18, by the brook of Jabbok, Genesis 32, 24 through 30, 
beneath the walls of Jericho, Jericho, Joshua 5.13, and in the fiery furnace of Babylon, Daniel 3.19 and 25. The Son of Man visited his people, because his soul delighted in them. He could not rest away from them, for his heart longed after them. Never were they absent from his heart, for he had written their names upon his hands, and graven them upon his side. As the breastplate containing the names of the tribes of Israel was the most brilliant ornament worn by the high priest, so the names of Christ's elect were his most precious jewels and glittered on his heart. We may often forget to meditate upon the perfections of our Lord, but he never ceases to remember us. Let us chide ourselves for past forgetfulness and pray for grace ever to bear him in fondest remembrance. Lord, paint upon the eyeballs of my soul the image of thy Son. All right, and now into our reading. Let me get some tea here. All right, we're going to start with Second Chronicles 19 this morning. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in peace to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him to his face and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate Yahweh and so bring wrath on yourself from Yahweh? But some good has been found in you. For you have purged the Asheroth from the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem. Indeed, he returned and went out among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, and caused them to return back to Yahweh, the God of their fathers. And he appointed judges in the land and all the fortified cities of Judah in each city. And he said to the judges, Consider what you are doing. For you do not judge for man, but for Yahweh, who is often with you when you render judgment. So now then let the dread of Yahweh be upon you. Be careful what you do, because with Yahweh, our God, there is no unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. In Jerusalem also, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the heads of the father's households of Israel for the judgment of Yahweh and to judge disputes. So they returned to Jerusalem. Then he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall do in the fear of Yahweh, faithfully and wholeheartedly. Whenever any dispute comes to you from your brothers who live in their cities, between blood and blood, between law and commandment, statutes and judgments, you shall warn them so that they may not be guilty before Yahweh, and wrath may not come on you and your brothers. Thus you shall do, and you will not be guilty. And behold, Amariah, the chief priest, will be over you and all that pertains to Yahweh. And Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, and all, the, all that pertains to the king. Also the Levites shall be officers before you. Be strong and act, and Yahweh be with the one who is good. And Second Chronicles 20. Now it happened after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the Ammonites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid, and set his face to seek Yahweh, and called for a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from Yahweh. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek Yahweh. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of Yahweh before the new court. And he said, O Yahweh, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, so that no one can take their stand against you. Did you not, O our God, dispossess the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it to the seed of Abraham, your friend forever? And they have lived in it, and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and save us. So now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. And behold, they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have caused us to possess. O our God, will you not judge them? 
for we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, and we do not know what we should do, but our eyes are on you. Now all Judah was standing before Yahweh with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of Yahweh came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, Pay attention, all Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, thus says Yahweh to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Take your stand. Stand and see the salvation of Yahweh on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for Yahweh is with you. So Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before Yahweh, worshipping Yahweh. Then the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and of the sons of the Korahites rose up to praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, establish your faith in Yahweh your God, and you will be established. Establish your faith in his prophets and succeed. When he had taken counsel with the people, he caused those who sang to Yahweh and those who praised him to stand in holy attire, as they went out before the army, saying, Give thanks to Yahweh, for his loving kindness endures forever. When they began singing for joy and praising, Yahweh Yahweh set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were defeated. Indeed, the sons of Ammon and Moab stood against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to devote them to destruction, and to utterly eradicate them. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to bring one another to ruin. Now Judah, Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, and they turned toward the multitude, and behold, they were corpses fallen on the ground, and no one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, and found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves, more than they could carry, and they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. Then on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed Yahweh. Therefore they have named that place the Valley of Barakah to this day, until today, I'm sorry. And every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with gladness, for Yahweh had made them glad over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of Yahweh. And the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that Yahweh had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Thus Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was thirty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem twenty-five years. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. And he walked in the way of his father Asa, and did not turn away from it, doing what is right in the sight of Yahweh. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts to the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first to last, behold, they are written in the chronicles of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. Afterwards, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. He acted wickedly in so doing. So he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion Gebir. Then, Ez, then Eliezer, Eliezer, the son of Dodavahu of Maresha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, Yahweh has destroyed your works. So the ships were broken and could not go to Tarshish. Right. And now Revelation 8. 
When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to, to the prayer, prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense went up with the prayers of the saints out of the angel's hand before God. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder, and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea, those which had life, died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers, and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters, because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. All right, I'm going to drink some tea here. Okay. And now Zechariah 4. Then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me, as a man who is roused from his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with its bowl on the top of it, and its seven lamps on it, with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps, which are on the top of it. Also, two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, and the other on its left side. Then I answered and said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. Then he answered and spoke to me, saying, This is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says Yahweh of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone, which shouts of grace, grace to it. Also the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you, for who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of Yahweh, which roam to and fro throughout the earth. Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand and on its left? And I answered the second time and said to him, What are the two olive branches which are beside the two golden pipes, which empty the golden oil from themselves? So he spoke to me, saying, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. All right, now John 7. And after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee. For he was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself publicly to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, 
but it hates me because I bear witness about it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I am not yet going up to this feast, because my time has not yet been fulfilled. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he is a good man. Others were saying no others were saying no one on the con no, on the contrary, he leads the crowd astray. Yet no one was speaking openly about him for fear of the Jews. But when it was now in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were marveling, saying, How has this man become learned, not having been educated? So Jesus answered and said, My teaching is not mine, but from him who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know about the teaching, whether it is of God or I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you does the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel. For this reason Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and on the Sabbath you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? And look, he is speaking openly, and they, were, they are saying nothing to him. Do the rulers truly know that this is the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him, yet no man laid his hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than this man did? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore Jesus said, For a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that he will not find him? Is he intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this statement that he said, You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this, he by, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the crowd, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This truly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, No, for is the Christ going to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them were wanting to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken like this. 
The Pharisees then answered them, Have you also been led astray? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who, sorry, Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing? They answered him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Everyone went to his house. All right. Well, that's it for this morning. I'm going to go ahead and we'll go ahead and close out in a prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called Yet I Sin. Let's pray. Eternal Father, thou art good beyond all thought, but I am vile, wretched, miserable, blind. My lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel, and my ways reluctant to amend. I bring my soul to thee, break it, wound it, bend it, mold it. Unmask to me sin's deformity, that I may hate it, abhor it, flee from it. My faculties have been a weapon of revolt against thee. As a rebel, I have misused my strength and served the foul adversary of thy kingdom. Give me grace to bewail my insensate folly. Grant me to know that the way of transgressors is hard, that evil paths are wretched paths, that to depart from thee is to lose all good. I have seen the purity and beauty of thy perfect law, the happiness of those in whose heart it reigns, the calm dignity of the walk to which it calls. Yet I daily violate and con condemn its precepts. Thy loving spirit strives within me, brings me scripture warnings, speaks in startling providences, <clears throat> allures my secret, I'm sorry, allures by secret whispers. Yet I choose devices and desires to my own hurt, impiously re resent, grieve, and provoke him to abandon me. All these sins I mourn, lament, and for them cry pardon. Work in me more profound and abiding repentance. Give me the fullness of a godly grief that trembles and fears, yet ever trusts and loves, which is ever powerful and ever confident. Grant that through the tears of repentance I may see more clearly the brightness and glories of the saving cross. Amen. All right, well, that is our... Uh, reading for this morning. Uh, again, I apologize that it's going to be coming out so late this morning um, and that I didn't get it done last night, but I hope it continues to bless you. I, I hope it blesses you at all, um, that, that God would be glorified in all of this. Um, and as I tell you every week or every day, please go do all you do today for the glory of God. We're closing in on Christmas and let's, let's show the true Christian spirit in everything we do even more so in this season. All right. You have a wonderful one and God willing, I'll see you this evening. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Saturday, December 17th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host, continuing to be your host. Um, again, I want to apologize for this not getting out early because I know some of you listen straight through it, um, but I definitely just could not do it last night. I tried to I tried to work the whole day and did, but it, it wore me out and I just could not pull it together to record last night. But I am at it this morning, um, and I'm sorry, I know voice is rough and on all, and, and I apologize for that, um, but we're just going to have to work through that. Um, it'll get better. Um, I know it's not fun to listen to me this way, but, you know, I, I don't know, maybe you can make a, make a joke out of it or a tea drinking game is every time I do something or my voice sounds a certain way, you can have a drink of tea or coffee. I, I won't encourage the other kind. Um not that I'm against it, just not drinking games. Um, so anyways, let's go ahead and get started this evening. As is our practice on Saturday evenings, we're going to open with the Lord's Day Eve prayer from Valley of Vision. So let's pray. 
God of the passing hour, another week has gone and I have been preserved in my going out and my coming in. Thine has been the vigilance that has turned threatened evils aside. Thine the supplies that have nourished me. Thine the comforts that have indulged me. Thine the relations and friends that have delighted me. Thine the means of grace which have edified me. Thine the book which amidst all my enjoyments has told me that this is not my rest, that in all successes one thing alone is needful, to love my Savior. Nothing can equal the number of thy mercies, but my imperfections and sins. These, O God, I will neither conceal nor palliate, but confess with a broken heart. In what condition would secret reviews of my life leave me, were it not for the assurance that with thee there is plenteous redemption, that thou art a forgiving God, that thou mayest be feared? While I hope for pardon through the blood of the cross, I pray to be clothed with humility, to be quickened in thy way, to be more devoted to thee, to keep the end of my life in view, to be cured of the folly of delay and indecision, to know how frail I am, to number my days and apply my heart unto wisdom. Amen. All right, and now our December 17th evening devotion. The text for it is from John 10, 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter it, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus, the great I am, is the entrance into the true church and the way of access to God himself. He gives to the man who comes to God by him four choice privileges. One, he shall be saved. The fugitive manslayer passed the gate of the city of refuge and was safe. Noah entered the door of the ark and was secure. None can be lost who take Jesus as the door of faith to their souls. Entrance through Jesus into peace is the guarantee of entrance by the same door into heaven. Jesus is the only door, an open door, a wide door, a safe door, and blessed is he who rests all his hope of admission to glory upon the crucified Redeemer. 2. He shall go in. He shall be privileged to go in among the divine family, sharing the children's bread and participating in all their honors and enjoyments. He shall go into the chambers of communion, to the banquets of love, to the treasures of the covenant, to the storehouses of the promises. He shall go in unto the King of kings, and the power of the Holy Spirit, and the secret of the Lord shall be with him. Number three, he shall go out. This blessing is much forgotten. We go out into the world to labor and suffer. But what a mercy to go in the name and power of Jesus. We are called to bear witness to the truth, to cheer the disconsolate, to warn the careless, to win souls and to glorify God. And as the angel said to Gideon, Go in this thy might. Even thus the Lord would have us proceed as his messengers, in his name and strength. He shall find pasture. He who knows Jesus shall never want. Going in and out shall be alike helpful to him. In fellowship with God he shall grow, and in watering others he shall be watered. Having made Jesus his all, he shall find all in Jesus. His soul shall be as a watered garden, and as a well of water whose waters fail not. All right. So this more or this evening we're going to go ahead. I'm sorry, take some tea here. Ooh, very hot, but very good. And cinnamon. All right. We're going to go ahead and continue our study in the Gospel of John. Um, we're coming into the last section. So the first 18 verses tend to be referred to by a number of theologians as the prologue. They're the prologue to the Gospel. And they do a decent job of summarizing the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. As we talked of, that's the overall um, the overall reasoning, uh, the overall... Um, Purpose, I'm sorry, I couldn't come up with that word this morning. The overall purpose of this gospel to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the apologetic purpose, so that in believing the evangelistic purpose, so that in believing we would have life in his name, we would have eternal life. Um, that's John 20, verse 31. So that that's, you know, that that's what this prologue is trying to do. So we're moving on into the last section of it, and we're starting to speak of the word becoming flesh. And so that's what we're going to speak of this morning. We're going to talk about the incarnation. Um, this is out of verse 14. So I'm going to go ahead and read to you John verse 14 here. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the incarnation, we, we at least in, 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 in religious circles, biblical circles, whatever, we tend to throw that term around a lot. But I have to ask the question, and I have to ask it of myself. Do we totally, deep down in our soul, have a true Holy Spirit-driven understanding of it? Do we really get it? Or is it some surface-level, useless, non-grasp of it? I didn't. In my study of John, I'm getting better at it. Um, and and as my, my, my walk is maturing, I'm gaining more and more. But on a rough picture, I don't think we do, and I think we blow by it. And that's dangerous for us. The incarnation and a true understanding of it is a core foundational part of a true Christian faith. And if we don't understand it properly and truly believe what God has put forward about it, then our salvation is definitely in question. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not trying, to, trying to scare you and make you worry about whether you're saved or not. Christ is very clear that those who the Father gives him, he will not lose. But at the same time, we've got to really understand this. We've got to understand what the incarnation really means. And so we're going to dig into this that the Apostle John says in this verse, in verse 14. So again, I'll read it again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's, let's start breaking this down. So the first phrase here, the word became flesh. And we've spoken before, we spoke, you know, last week, I believe, or during this past week about the word, word from verse one, um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we spoke about how deep and how full that four letter word was in, in meaning both to the Jews and the Greeks that John the Apostle is speaking to here, um, that it truly dealt with um, this, this power of being and of creation um, and, and again, made even reference to the fact that, you know, God in his word brought everything into being. And the fact is he brought it into being through Christ. That's what we're talking about here. So the divine word became flesh. And again, the inference of the Greek here is not that the divine word was created as flesh, but that the divine word took on flesh, was made flesh, not created as flesh, but took on flesh. That's what the in the incarnation is speaking of here. There's no creation here indicated. There's no, and, and too many people have tried to twist that to indicated that Christ is a created being. He is not. We spoke of that already, that he is self-existent. Um, uh, where do we speak of it? Um, in him was life. Verse four, in him was life. And that the reference there, the Greek there, was that that life came from within him. It wasn't given to him. That's that's what we're speaking of here. Um, is that he became flesh. He wasn't created as flesh. He took on flesh. He did not start being the divine eternal word in any sense. He always was. But then he became man. He took on flesh. And thus he became man in all that that means, except sin. Um, and w when I was studying this before, it reminded me of a Q&A session that I listened to that included R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur. And Dr. MacArthur described the hypostatic union, which is that union of the divine, the divine word, with taking on flesh. And he defined it as truly God meaning completely God, or meaning truly God and truly man. And Dr. Spruill agreed with that, but he added this to be even clearer. Fully God and fully man to the definition. Completely God, completely man. Both at the same time. 
and and I heard what they said, but kind of wondered where that came from. I, I was like, oh, okay, I get that. But where did that phraseology come from? I was like, did R.C. Sproul just come up with that? Well, no. Actually, it, it came out of the early church, um, the very early church and their documentation. The Council of Chalcedon spoke of the union, of the hypostatic union in 451 A.D. as complete in Godhead and complete in manhood. That's what we're speaking of here. That's the incarnation. And we have to grasp that in this union. Christ is fully God and fully man. Christ has given up none of his deity, but he's taken on all of manhood. Neither compromises with each other, nor do they merge. They are distinct, but they are together. Um, and this is one of those mysteries that we have to take on faith. They don't just magically happen. Um <laughs> My wife passed me a note, and it's wonderful because I already have it in my notes further down, and I'll get there. But thank you, sweetheart. Um, but we do have to get grasp that. Neither of them compromises. These two natures, the divine and the carnal, coexist in the person of Jesus Christ and form the perfect union and the perfect Savior to us. And it's critical that we understand that. We have to. It, it truly is. That is, that is, a, that is key to our faith. That is key to a saving faith. I'm not saying you're magically going to get it the, the first day you're saved. But believe me, I didn't. I sat there going, because that, that and many things, trying to truly grasp, though I knew the words, to truly grasp the Trinity. <laughs> yeah, it almost sent me into a conniption. Um, it's just not easy. And again, we're not the only ones to struggle with this. And I'm not saying it's okay, but this was something that the Docetists struggled with. They believed, and they were part of Greek philosophy, but they believed that spirit was good and matter was evil, which was the main Greek, that was the main Greek philosophy of the time, first century um, Greek. And this caused them to be unable to accept that a divine part of the Trinity would take on flesh. And they had a number of ways that they tried to explain this. But all of them, made the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ useless. This is what the Apostle John was fighting against during the first century. This is what he's addressing. This is why he's bringing this up. Um, and he thought it was so serious. So one of his opponents in dealing with this was a gentleman called Corinthus, C-E-R-I-N-T-H-U-S. He was um, an early church historian, wrote of John's issue with Corinthus and his heresy being such a concern for John that when John had entered a bathhouse and he realized Corinthus was within, he ran out proclaiming that all should flee in case the bathhouse would cave in on Corinthus, an enemy of the truth. That should tell us how important it is that we grasp that the incarnate word is fully God and fully man. Um, 1 Timothy 3.16 And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was manifested in the flesh, took on flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And sure enough, it hit me. And I honestly, my wife probably suggested this back then, but this was the note she gave me from the song. And we're in the Christmas season. Hark the herald angels sing. Uh, the, I think this is from the, actually the second verse. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. That's what, we've, that's what we're speaking of here. True deity taking on flesh and taking on flesh to be our propitiation. And, and wow, I, we could spend hours speaking about propitiation, but the fact is he has to be fully God to interact with God and be our intercessor with God. But he has to be fully man to fully pay the price and be the true propitiation for you and I. 
He has to be both. And we have to understand that. And that's what I was speaking of. The docetist, that by them trying to say that, and one of the things they, they used to say is, oh, no, no, Christ was here in spirit, but he didn't really come in flesh. There's no way because flesh is evil. Well, that that destroys the propitiation, and, and I'm not making up the propitiation. You can parse through, and again, we're not going to go into a master class here because honestly, I haven't prepared it, and we don't have the time for it. But as you as you research the propitiation across the scriptures, and and put it together, the 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 um, theology of the propitiation of Christ's propitiation for us to deal with the the cost of our sins, the the debt for our sins. Any removal of Christ's deity, his full deity, or his full humanity makes that propitiation not work. It counters the Bible. It counters the word of God. But not only did the word become flesh, but he dwelt among us. The Greek word here is he tinted or tabernacled among us. If we go back into the book of Exodus, Exodus, you see God taking up residence with the Israelites within the tabernacle that God had Moses build. It was a tent of meeting. We see God taking up residence among his people in the temple after Solomon built it in 1 Kings. We see in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, that the tabernacle of God will be among men. This is when the new Jerusalem descends. So Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, and the first things passed away. Again, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it goes on, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. And again, we've spoken of that. Only begotten. That's not speaking of created from the Father. It's only begotten as in first place from the Father. Full of grace and truth. He dwelt among us as man. And he continues to dwell among us. As God incarnate, he continues to dwell among us as God. Yes, he's sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, but he attain, He has all of God's attributes, meaning his omniscience and his omnipresence, meaning he's here with you and I, meaning the Trinity indwells all of us. He is here among us. He is tabernacling with us, but we have to understand the incarnation. We have to truly understand what John the Apostle is saying here, John the Evangelist, he's making clear that Christ is God among men. He was God among men in physical form during the first century, but he is still among us in spiritual form every day. We saw the Old Testament occurrences foreshadow the incarnation and the revelation prophesies his return. And while, yes, he was resurrected and ascended into heaven, he walks with you and I every day. This isn't, this isn't some random, um, it always makes me think of, you know, um, and again, I'm not sitting here trying to disparage, but so many of the world's religions, they want you to go someplace and you have to go to a place a specific temple or a specific place to worship and a specific place that is most important. Yeah. You and I don't have to do that. Um, the fact is when I was growing up, it it was, you know, churches were in church buildings. There were church buildings and church buildings were very important. And don't get me wrong. I love beautiful old churches, but the fact is we've now spent a number of years in a home church meeting out of somebody's home. And for a while there, we were in churches that were meeting in schools. And a lot of churches are doing that nowadays, as opposed to having to take on massive mortgages to build buildings. 
Church is where God's children meet. And in those places, Christ is clear that where two or three gather, he's there with us. He walks with us always. But the incarnation is critical. He did become flesh. He did become flesh. Trying to ignore that, trying to walk away from that, belittles everything he did and totally takes the teeth out of his sinless life, the righteousness he cloaks us in to cover our sin, and the propitiation he did for us on the cross. It wipes all of that out. So we've got to understand that he is fully God and fully man. So it's critical that we understand John 1 verse 14 and understand it in all its detail. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer this evening. Um, As is our practice, we always close with the seventh day evening prayer. It's called future blessing. Let's pray. O Lord God, there is no blessing we implore, but thou art able to give, hast promised to give, hast given already to countless multitudes, all unworthy and guilty like ourselves. Make us willing to receive the supply of our need from thy bounty. To this end, convince us of sin. Soften our hard hearts to bewail our folly, ingratitude, pride, unbelief, rebellion, corruption. Through the law may we die to the law. Then look with wonder, submission, delight to the provision thou hast made for the glory of thy name and the salvation of sinners. Give us a hope that makes us not ashamed, a love that excites to holy obedience, a joy in thee that is our strength, a faith in thy Son who loved us and died for us. May we preserve in duty, I'm sorry, may we persevere in duty when not fully conscious of thee, wait upon thee and keep thy way. Be humble and earnest suppliance at thy feet, live continually as on the brink of eternity. Let us be at thy disposal for the duties and events of life. Submit our preferences to thy wisdom and will. Resign our enjoyments if thou shouldst require it, as our absolute proprietor and best friend. In our unworthiness and provocations, make us grateful for the means of grace and the ordinances of religion, and teach us to profit by them more than we have done. Help us to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day, to enter upon the Sabbath mindful of its, mindful of its solemnities, duties, privileges, setting all things worldly aside while we worship Thee. May we know the blessedness of men whose strength is in Thee and in whose hearts are the highways to heaven. Amen. All right, I hope you have a wonderful evening. I would definitely encourage you to do all you can to be in church tomorrow and to worship with the saints. I am definitely going to do all I can to try to get myself together to be able to do that. Um, But have a wonderful evening, and God willing, I'll see you in the morning. God bless.